All right, if you have your Bible or your smartphone or tablet, something you'll be looking at the passage with us this morning, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been working through 1 Corinthians now for the past several months, um, are nearing the end. Uh, just a, as a bit of recap and reminder, remember, 1 Corinthians is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. Um, it's written from the city of Ephesus. Um, he's about three years removed from his time in Corinth, but he had spent 18 months there, one of his longer stays. And so it's a church that he knows well, that he loves, that he knows the people, he knows their struggles, he knows their issues. And, and ultimately what Paul wants for the believers in Corinth is for them to rightly, accurately reflect the character of God to the city of Corinth, this city that is wealthy, um, that is a port city, that has a, a little bit of every religion, cult, way of thinking um, from the world because it's a port city. And he's saying, look, we're just not going to build this massive temple where people will come and say, I wonder what, what God is like. He's like, we are going to be that ourselves. That the, the Spirit resides in us individually, and it resides in us as a, as a family, as a body. And so we will rightly reflect the character of God to the world. But in order to do that, we have to live in a way that shows that we trust Him, that we know Him, that we're being transformed by Him. And the fact was the church in Corinth was struggling with this. And so Paul writes this, this letter ad, um, addressing 10 or 11 kind of behavioral issues that are going on saying, look, these are not giving out the best image of who our God is. We're not rightly reflecting Him to the world. And so we're going to continue this morning in chapter 12. And in chapter 12, um, we are in a, in a section where he has been talking about worship. And so we've looked at not um, worshiping idols or even giving this idea that we would be. We've looked at the Lord's Supper. We're beginning to talk about spiritual gifts. And so all of this is built on kind of just right worship of God. And so where we're going to be this morning is specifically in, re in regards to, to unity. And so let's pick up in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, 
that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all, the, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. So, kind of setting the scene and the issue here, if you'll remember in chapter 11, we have left um, this section on the Lord's Supper where Paul is not commending the church at all. The church is struggling. Um, What is happening is they're having the Lord's Supper in a home, and the haves, those with some wealth, those with more means, have separated themselves out from church members who were more working class or were former slaves or who were current slaves and just did not have the means or the freedom to, to eat as lavishly. And so the church is actually gathering, and the most prominent people are gathering in a smaller room with the best food and the best drink. Um, they're being gluttonous. They're getting drunk. And then everyone else is kind of gathering in the atrium or outside the house and, and, and the issue at hand is not even the drunkenness. Paul is saying it's that you are separating the body. That you are saying that these people are less than, than others. That there are haves and have-nots. He's like, that's the way our society is built. It, that's the way the, this, um, the social ladder is built. That's not the way it's supposed to be in the church. And so Paul now has walked into chapter 12, and he's beginning to talk about the gifts of the Spirit um, and, the, and the, the gifts that he's given to, to different folks in the church. But the point initially is going to be, we have to be unified, that we, that we need each other. And so this is mostly um, a, a sociological thing, is that those who have wealth and means and are known in the community, even though they know in Christ we're supposed to be one, they're having a hard time separating themselves from that. And they're going, I'm better than you. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to share this meal with you. I want to continue to have the advantage that society gives me in saying that I'm of higher class. And you coming in, I mean, can you imagine a a slave owner and a servant, right? Now are both believers. They're both part of the church. And now all of a sudden he's looking at him going, I got to sit at the table and and be equal with you? I kind of like my privileged place in society. And so Paul is saying, look, what you're doing in the Lord's Supper is not honoring God. It's not reflecting the character of God who was generous with us, who has given us one salvation. What Paul is going is to help us realize, and we know this, right, is you can't force people to unify, right? And so Paul started this letter saying, look, there are divisions in the church. We've seen it throughout he, he has already said, hey, is Christ divided? No, right? Like, that we are unified in Christ, but we can't force unification. Um, we, we see that in the news right now, right? You can't force unity. You can't make people all of a sudden come together with a big enough stick or with a sweet enough carrot. It just, it just hasn't worked that people are going to be unified. And so we have to remind ourselves and, and, and just be honest here that we are prone to divide, Right? Our tendency and our inclination is to divide. And so we see that in culture. 
right, that right now it looks like everything is, is, is pitted against us to make us divide. And so whether we think about it politically, whether you want to talk about race, you want to talk about ethnicity, nationality, you want to talk about ethics, you want to talk about politics, you want to talk about money, you want to talk about education, and we're not going, let's talk about where we're similar, right? It's where, where are we different? Which camp are you in? So I know where to, where to place you, so I know which rhetoric to use on you. Right, like that our tendency is just to divide, and it's to be separate. And we see this so, unfortunately, with so much clarity right now in the media, in our world. But we have to be honest that we know that we're prone to divide in church as well. Right, like that, that our tendency is going to be to be around those who are most like us. And so we're going to find ourselves looking for those who are in the same life stage of, as us, and so maybe it's not about age for you, but it's like, who else um, doesn't have any kids at home, right? Or who else has a baby at home? Or who else is divorced? Or who else is remarried, right? Like, you start to look for who, who's like me. Or yours is more like, I just want to be around people my age because I know they're going to they're gonna think differently because we're of the same generation. And maybe we'll have a little bit of nuanced difference, but for the most part, We've just got, you know, similar things that we like, similar music, similar, similar worldview. Maybe your tendency is, is to divide around those who are educated or not educated like you are, who have a similar ability to spend or not spend money like you do. Or it may be that, that you've you found a really churchy way to divide, and it's about, like, specific, like, secondary, tertiary issues of theology, Right? that aren't really about Jesus, and it's not really about something that is going to, you know, make this huge difference, but you're like, man, I love, like, these, like, little nuanced, faceted aspects of theology, and when I find someone who, who agrees with me on that, I'm going to, like, make sure I stay real close to them. Like, that our, our tendency of our heart is to look for those who are like us and to separate from those who aren't like us. That's just, for most of us, kind of our natural inclination. Why? Because it's messy, right? <laughs> to be around those who aren't like us, and, and I'm not even talking about in, in far-reaching ways, even those who have grown up in the same town but in a different area of town or who happen to be a different generation or happen to have a different life stage, to try to, to put our lives together, it's just messy, right? Because we don't think about the same things. We're not considering the same things on a daily basis. Maybe it's out of, like, self-protection, not that you're opposed to them, but you just have enough going on that you're like, I don't really have energy to give you, <laughs> right? And so it's just easier for me if I can sit around and talk with people who are dealing with the same things that I'm dealing with, instead of having to like listen well or consider you or your situation. If we're honest, it's just less comfortable and it's not easy. And so we find like these natural paths for us to fall into with those who are like us. And it may be that you do this because you see church only as a Sunday morning proposition, right? That the rest of the week is yours. And so if I'm only going to be up there for a little bit of time, I might as well be with people I like. And so the people I like are usually going to be like me because I like me, right? And so we, we find that our, our natural inclination is to divide. And so although it's hard for us to imagine how how blatant the church in Corinth is being in the Lord's Supper, and like in literally saying here are the haves and here are the have-nots, like we're, we're more politically correct than that, right? Like we would never say it, right? We would just live it. 
And they're just, they're just kind of like saying like, that's just the way it is, Paul. And Paul is going, no, 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 it can't, it can't be this way. And so if we understand that you can't be forced to unify with someone, like the, 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 you just can't be like tricked into it, as soon as someone starts, you start to go, wait a second, you want me to be like them? You want me to be with them? What's the catch here? Right? Like we're, our tendency is to, to divide even more then. Then, what, then how do we do this? And the answer is, is we have to be transformed. Right? We're not convinced of it. We are transformed into it. I want you to look at verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So he immediately starts to talk about the body. And he's like, look, your body has many parts, but it's just one body. And even though it has many parts, it's one body. (laughs) But if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand. um, Sorry, I skipped down to 15. Verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. And so his initial appeal here is this. He's like, we have one means into the church. There's one way, and it's through Christ. Then there's one offer of salvation, and it's at the cross. There's one who rescues us, and it's Jesus. There's not a way in for the Americans and then for everybody else, right? There's not a way in for those who are educated and have an easy life, and then there's a different way in for those who are working class and have a harder life. Right? There's not a way in for the more educated or the not. He's saying there's one means of being a church member. There's one means of being a part of the bride of Christ, of knowing Jesus. And it is the life, the perfect life of Christ lived on our behalf, which we couldn't. Where he trusted God and showed us the way we were meant to live and, and have it. Going to the cross to die in our place on our behalf so that we don't face the wrath of God. Right, being separated from his father so that we're not. And then that he rises three days later, having beaten sin and Satan and death and has satisfied the wrath of God and now says, come with me back to the place where we belong. You were meant to be with your father in perfect harmony for all eternity. It's where scripture begins and it's where scripture ends. And Jesus has accomplished it for us. And he says, and so the same offer is out there. And so what he says unifies us is this, is that your situation, whatever it is, has separated you from God. And the solution is the same. It's that Jesus has rescued you. And so now we walk in, and you can imagine the scene now of people from all different social strata, all different situations, all different backgrounds going, the only thing we might have in common is Jesus. And Paul says, and that's enough. That is sufficient Right, that this is mind blowing to the Corinthians because they're going, but I want to be better than people. Right, like that there's just this kind of natural thing that says, I want to be able to say, well, I'm, maybe I'm not as good as him, but I'm, I'm better than her. And I'm, a, I'm equal with them. And Paul is saying, no, we have many parts, but we are one body. There's one way in, a common experience, a common transformation. Look, Many organizations, many government organizations, many churches have looked for a false unity that is manufactured, that's created, that we can do. The unity that it comes from God is supernatural. 
right? There's no other reason to explain why people so varied and so different would get along, why they would still worship Jesus and love one another, because it's, it's supernatural. And so if we want to fake unity, then we're going to get around people who look like us because it's easier, but that's not supernatural. Like, that's, that's us. Of course, I can get along with people who are like me. So we think, right? And then we think of our family, right? And that we were raised by the same parents under the same roof with the same rules, and we struggle at holidays, right? With our family who are a lot like us. And so we understand that unity is a supernatural thing. And so what what Paul is asking us to do is this seamless diversity. He's saying, yes, there's going to be tremendous diversity, but I want you to be unified in it. Look at verse 20. As it is, there are many parts, diversity, yet one body, unity. So he's not looking for us all to be the same, but he's looking for us all to be unified. So let's look at verses 15, 16, and 17 here. He says, look, the foot shouldn't say because I'm not a hand that I don't belong to the body. The ear should not say because I'm not an eye. He's like, depending on what you are, what your gifting is, you're no less a part of the body. The, the role or the function that you play doesn't matter because you're a part of the body. And so we don't get to say, look at all of my body, but th- this isn't my body. Right? Like, that's absurd. So he's like, if you're a part of the body of Christ, then you are a part of the body. And so... Whatever role we play, we trust that that's what God has done, right? Like that he has set it up that way. We see this. Look, verse 22. Sorry, verse 18. But, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Now verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So you're thinking, okay, what's he talking about? He's talking about the organs, Right? Things that, that seem weaker. He's like, but if, because they're covered and they're hidden, he's like, but they're indispensable. You start removing organs and the body dies. And so even though we think of the hands and the feet and the eyes and the nose and the ear more as the body, he's like, you start removing the things that are less seen, less visible, we're going to find how indispensable they are. So here's the thing. In the church, we often have a tendency to look at those who are most out front, most prominent, and we think those are the indispensable things. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand that there are gifts that are being used and and, and developed and loved and ministered to in the church that are not on the stage on Sunday morning. They're indispensable to the life of the church, and if you remove them, you kill the body. You kill it. And yet our tendency is to go, but I want to be that guy, or I want to be that girl, or I want to have more stage time, or I want to have more prominence. And he's saying, no, 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 we we don't say what we want We thank God for what we are. And to know that our role is indispensable in the body, that the body needs diversity. It needs it. We we can't function without it. Look at verse 25. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Right? Like that he's so he's saying, like, we we don't divide over what your gifting is. We we love each other. Because if all of a sudden, this morning, if you woke up with, with back pain, and you fell out of bed or rolled out of bed, right, you're not going, at least my feet are working, right, my hands feel good, no headache this morning, right, you're not, you're not thinking, you're going, I can't hardly move because of my back. 
And so you're not thinking about the 99% of other things that are good. You're just going, this, this affects all of me. I am suffering because of this one part. We understand it physically, right? We understand that, that a toothache can make it hard to do something, right? Because you can't concentrate. And it's this one small aspect of our body. And so he says, look, we want there to be no division in the body in 25, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together, right? Like you don't hear someone say, you have a beautiful face and your knees are down there going, can't you compliment me? Right? Like, (laughs) right? Like, Right, like the, it's like a compliment of me is kind of a compliment to me, right? And a compliment to you, it's not that it's, you don't walk through and, right, we're not doing a Song of Solomon thing here, right, where we go from the head to the feet here, right? Like that a compliment's a compliment. And so what Paul is, is trying to say is, look, we have to get to a place as a body, as, as the church body, where when we are suffering, we are all suffering. And when one is honored, we are all honored, we get it when it comes to our body. We get that a back pain or a toothache or a, a, a torn MCL affects the rest of us. I don't think we get it when it comes to this, right? Because we, our tendency is just to go, well, it doesn't directly affect me. And yet Paul is going, I want us to be at this place where we see that we are simply, merely all parts of one body, of one family. As a kid, I... I um, Y'all know I loved baseball, and I had this, this book that I used to read, and it was a, about a chipmunk baseball team, um, so obviously I was pretty young, but in, in it, the kid, everyone on the team wanted to be the pitcher, right? And so the coach goes, okay, if that's what y'all want, I don't think it's wise, and they all line up, all nine of them, right? And the first one pitches, and the second one gets the ball, it, which, it, which works great until the first pitch is thrown, right, because there's no catcher. And when the first ball is hit, they all just run in a line, right? Like, and so they're like, oh, we need a first baseman. And so they all go and stand at first base, right? And it's, the book is meant to be absurd, right? That, that, that we, you need a team for a reason. You need the nine players in the nine positions. And that some of those positions in whatever sport you want to think of get more glory, right? That's why you know quarterbacks and wide receivers and running backs names and you don't know a lot of linemen names right? But they're all indispensable. They're all necessary to the team. And what Paul is, is reminding them is he's like, look, the tendency right now is to honor those who have gifts that are really like spectacular or gifts that are in front. And he said, or you're honoring those who are already the haves in society. And as society, we do this, right? That we give like ludicrous awards to people who don't deserve them because they're famous, right? We're like, hey, everyone knows your name. Let's give you this award that means nothing to you because you didn't do anything for it. But you're famous, and it'll give me some attention because I gave you an award. Paul's like, don't honor people in the body just because they seem to be honored in society. Honor, like, honor everybody. Look at the lesser gifts and see the indispensable nature. See that you cannot hurt your own body, but that you need to serve it and love it. All right, why do we want to do this? Right, because the, the easier thing to do would be to show up on Sunday mornings, sit around some fe- people that are like us, go to a GC with people who are like us, and just kind of do our thing. So why does Paul ask the church to quit their behavior, to, to move towards unity? Why is he asking this of us? 
Because it rightly reflects the character of God. That God is a God who has taken his enemies and made them his sons and daughters. That God is generous and that God hasn't said, you're a have and you're a have not. No salvation for you, salvation for you. He doesn't do that. That it's this free offer of grace. It's a, it's a gift. Why do we do it? Because it's countercultural. Right? Like because the culture already divides, and so this begins to show right, a supernatural component that if people are gathering around a singular common interest in Jesus, that that is unique because it's not drawing just one type of person, not one gender, not one ethnicity, not one paycheck grade, but it's drawing people from across the board. And so the church here is made up of slaves and freed. It's made up of men and women. It's made up of Jews and Greeks. It's made up of all types of people, and they're all unifying under the cross. It's why in John 13, Jesus says to the disciples that we will be known by our love for one another. Known for our love. And because it is a picture of heaven. This is where we're headed. Listen to two verses here out of Revelation. This is Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, singing to Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And if you turn over to chapter 7, verse 9, we see this. And after this, John says, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Right? The, the, the picture we have is there is one church, and we have one hope, and we have one salvation, and one day we will stand together from brothers and sisters from all over the world from time before and time to come singing to the one who rescued us. And we will be diverse, and we will be unified around Christ. That is the picture of where we're headed. And so Paul is saying, so let's do this in Corinth. Church, let's do this in Pampa in West Texas, that we would be a diverse body claiming Jesus is sufficient and enough. And then that diversity would be socioeconomically, and that diversity would be ethnically, and that diversity would be in political affiliation, and that diversity would be in education, that that diversity would be in all areas, in age, Because Jesus is enough to unite us and to bring us together. And so we do this because it reflects the character of our God who is already doing this. So how do we do this? By the Spirit of God. This is a supernatural thing. It is not our tendency. It is not our expectation. And so when God does it, it is unique. In church, for those who haven't been around here very long, we're almost seven and a half years old, and there has been a sense of, of unity and, and sameness and, and, and just forward focus that is really unique, <laughs> that we can't explain, because we didn't sit out and say, okay, oh, you're not being unified, you're gone. God's just kind of done it. He's just set it into motion, and it has been a joy to watch. Church, we have one hope, one love, one salvation. And that we would move forward with that in Christ. 
that we would be okay with the fact that as one church with one mission, that we're, the way it's going to look for each of our individual lives and families to pursue this, to live this out, is going to look a little different, and that we're going to be okay with that. The same absurdity of every chipmunk pitching or every chipmunk playing first base would be like if we were all preaching or if we were all singing or if we were all working nursery. Like that, that would just, the, the, the absurdity of that. That what we want is a healthy balance. So, some practical things here to finish up. Here's where it's going to start. We can't be, we can't be quickly offended. We cannot live on the defensive. One of my proudest moments at Redeemer was we had a group of folks that um, I knew them all pretty well, but they didn't know each other um, at, my, at our home one night for a Redeemer event. And um, politics came up. And if you know me, I'm a peacemaker at heart. Um, and my, my blood like, just like ran cold because the first two that spoke didn't know each other, but they were on absolutely polar ends of this conversation. And I'm like, oh no, right? This is about to get ugly. And so they, they both spoke, and you could see both of their eyes kind of get wide, and they both kind of took a step back. And I'm thinking, okay, when do I, right, when do I jump in and like separate this? And, and this conversation emerged, and it was one of those that like voices are, are like getting like this little bit of tension in them, but they're staying loving and calm, but there's just like this, like, I'm not going to be the first to strike, but man, as soon as you're ready, you know, like, I'm going to, I'm going to knock, like, and it's and so like, you can almost like feel people in the room just kind of stepping back a little bit, and I just keep listening, I'm watching, and in the end, there was no fight, and I'm thinking, how did we just avoid that? And it was because of this. They were on polar extremes of how they view the political, the political spectrum in, in, in America right now. But in the end, they both trust Jesus. Right? And they both said, look, our hope isn't in the Democratic or the Republican Party. Our hope is in Christ. And so look, it, like the culture, I mean, it was there. They were ready to go. But there was, there was enough of like the Spirit of God there to just go, this is my brother. This is my sister, right? Like, we, we, don't have to, we don't have to do what the culture does. And, and it was like this powerful moment as the Spirit just intervenes in a really beautiful way. So, if we are quick to be defensive, if we are quick to be offended, then we just start lashing out. But we want to be quick to listen. We want to be quick to hear from someone else, Right? And, and so if we're doing this, then we're going to be learners. And we're going to go in humility to one another and say, hey, so I heard what you said or I saw something you posted. And, and I don't know, but th- that affects me in this manner. Can, can we just talk about where you're at in this? Right? And, and so if, if we assume that people are looking to hurt us like the culture is teaching us to assume, right, then we're going to be hurt and offended all the time. But if we can begin to assume that my brothers and sisters in Christ are not trying to hurt me, they're not trying to intentionally scar me or poke in an area that hurts me, right, then all of a sudden conversation looks different because we can go to one another in love and talk about this. Church, we want to give a voice to people who have different passions and different giftings. We want to let people play the role that God has called them to. We are not all going to have the same pet projects and passions. 
We're not. And, it, and if yours is different than mine, that's okay. Now, here's the caveat. As believers, we, there, are com- there are some things we're commanded to do. So we're commanded to disciple people. Now, how, that, how we do that can look different. We're commanded to evangelize. How that we do that can look different. Right? We're commanded to live out the one another's of Scripture, the four dozen, pray for one another, love one another, bear with one another. But there are a ton of areas where the gospel impacts people in marriage, in work, in counseling, in missions, in all of these different ways. And so if someone is equipped and and gifted to really pour their life out in a certain way, we don't go, hey, because you're doing something different than me, you're not as spiritual as I am. Or you should do, you should have the same pet passion that I have. Right? And so here's the thing. I think we should all have a pretty high view of adoption. And not because I adopted, we adopted a child, but because God has adopted us into his family. So we should have a pretty positive view of adoption because no one gets into the kingdom without being adopted. But that doesn't mean that I would anticipate that all of you would be adoption advocates, right? At, at every march and at every meal and at every dinner. Like, right, like some of you, that will be your thing. And for some of you, you will support it, but you're going to have your own thing. And we want to celebrate our different giftings and our different personalities in that God has put us together and we are indispensable from one another, that we are dependent upon one another. And so I can't expect you to have all my same passions, and it doesn't mean that I don't associate with you. Or it doesn't, I don't assume that I'm more spiritual than you. Right? It's like if we begin to lose these, here's the way we should look at it. Trust that the Lord has brought you with your particular passion, right, here to flavor us so that we are more balanced. Right? Not that oh, these people just don't get it, but that God has brought you here to add a necessary component to the recipe of the church that he is building in Pampa. Not everyone has to do what you do for it to, for it to matter, right? If you think about it, if not everyone's doing what I'm doing, then it doesn't matter, or that, that means you won't do it, that's like, that's crazy, right? Like, God has equipped you and has given you to this body to minister. If everyone in Pam, uh, sorry, if everyone at Redeemer schooled their children the same way, that would be weird, right? It would mean we're not very diverse, and that we're only fitting one, like, niche caveat, if everyone, right, thought the same, like if we just had group think, that's a dangerous thing. So we want to be a diverse body. Two more things and we'll be done. I want us to consider the generational gain that we see in families, right? How often you see grandchildren or great-grandchildren weeping over the loss of a grandparent, Right? Because that grandparent who is 60 years older than them has just loved them well and cared for them. But then we walk into church and we look at someone who's 60 years older than us and we're like, what do you have to offer me? Or we look at someone 60 years younger and go, I want to hang out with you. Right? Like the, there is generational gain in families when, when families are healthy, right? And all this, like I don't interact with my cousin the same way I do with my granddad but both are really good relationships and both are really healthy. That we would strive for those type of relationships here. 
That's why I love our gospel communities that are diverse in age so that we see different perspectives of those who have gone before us and that those who are older would be reminded of the vigor of life, right? And be encouraged about where the future is headed. And the last one is this. Paul is not talking about unity at all costs. Remember where we've already been in 1 Corinthians. Paul has said, look, when there is sin in the body, you call it out. You judge sin with other believers. Now, remember, he says, right, we don't judge sin in the world. Those who don't follow Jesus, those who don't have the Holy Spirit, he says, God says, I will do that. But within the church, we don't say, oh, I want to be unified so I can't say anything to you who are sinning. It's not the way it works. Because of our love for one another, we want to address sin. Because we want to rightly reflect God, and rather than letting sin infiltrate and affect and eventually kill something, we deal with it. But we do it out of love, and we do it out of humility, and we do it out of a desire to reconcile and to continue to be family. Church, we just have to understand that when we say family here, it means more than some cute catch-all church word. It means generational, and it means messy, and it means difficult, but it means worth it too. That we would be unified because it rightly reflects the character of our God to our community, because we are not dividing on the easy lines of division, but that we are coming together because Jesus is sufficient, and He's enough. And to understand that we cannot have true unity unless there is diversity. It's not unity otherwise. It's some like fake counter, counterfeit. So this morning, the band's going to come back up, and we're going to have a time just to worship. And I want us to, to praise and to thank God for the unity that He's given here. That is, that is unique, right? Because it's supernatural. So we're not saying, God, thank you that we're so great right? That is not what we're saying. We're saying, God, thank you that you have given us a gift that we couldn't have manufactured on our own. So we say thank you for that because we see that it's what you want for us. And would you let the Spirit bring conviction, if necessary, about areas where you tend to divide away from others? Would he maybe even bring to mind folks that, that he wants you to pursue, Right, church, this is, this is not the end of a conversation. This is the start of a conversation as to what it looks like for us to be a healthy family for God's glory, to minister in our community, in our surrounding communities, in our world, saying Jesus is enough. And where everyone else is dividing, we're going to be unified. And we have the answer for unification is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you... You call us to hard things. And Father, it would be far easier on Sunday mornings to pretend like we're unified and to ignore those who are different than us. Not have a beef, not start a fight, and it will look unified. But God, that's not what you've called us to. You've called us to the transformational, supernatural, harder thing of actually being unified with those who are unlike us. To call them brother, to call them sister. And so, Father, this morning we confess that there are areas in our life where we're already doing this because for whatever reason we find it easier. But, Father, we also want to confess this morning that there are certain 
certain types of division that our hearts would have a really hard time with being unified this morning. And it's different for each of us. Whether it's an ethnicity issue, whether it's a financial issue, whether it's an education issue, whether it's a theological issue, that there are just some that we would rather avoid. And yet you have called us to be unified. So, Father, would you continue the supernatural work that you've done here? Lord, we say thank you for what you and only you could have done. And, Father, for those this morning who, who would confess, I don't think I'm unified with God. Lord, that you would call them. Lord, that they would know that your life and your death and your resurrection, Lord, covers their sin as well. That you're inviting them into the family of son and daughter. Jesus, we, we need you. We need you to, to fill the conversations that are going to come based off this passage in gospel community and in lunches and in, in living rooms over the weeks to come. God, that we would be quick to listen and slow to speak. That we would honor you and reflect you rightly. In Jesus' name, amen.